From Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio, this is the GOAT, Tom Brady. Episode 2, The Michigan Man. This is the story of Tom Brady, the GOAT, and his unlikely and incredible journey for never playing a snap at quarterback on his winless high school freshman team, to seven-string quarterback his freshman year at Michigan, to four-string quarterback as a New England Patriots rookie, to the greatest quarterback in NFL history. I'm Gary Myers, former longtime NFL columnist for the Dallas Morning News and New York Daily News, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Brady vs. Manning. Thanks so much for listening to The Goat, Tom Brady. Episode 2, The Michigan Man. I will take you behind the scenes of Brady's college career through exclusive interviews that will provide insight into Brady's incredible will to compete. I'll also have an intriguing story in a little bit about how New York Yankees owner George Steinbrenner nearly prevented Brady from being Michigan's starting quarterback. Yup, the boss was called for pass interference. I'm going to spend this episode exploring Brady's five years at Michigan. Just to summarize, he was redshirted his freshman year, he nearly transferred one month into his sophomore year, and then threw only five passes all season. In his third year, he had only 15 pass attempts. And although he started all 25 games over his fourth and fifth years in the program and won 20 of them, he was in a constant battle with local phenom Drew Henson his final two years after failing to beat out Scott Dreisbeck and Brian Greasy his first three years. Brady was not a five-star recruit who started from day one. He fought for every snap he could get, but he says the experience helped make him who he is today. Certainly wasn't easy, but I think that was the best thing for me. I, I really needed to be toughened up. I don't think it was, it would have worked out in the long run had I not had the learn really the will to, to compete and to win. And I think that whole competition at Michigan really helped establish that part of my Absolutely. character. So let's start off with the most obvious question to Brady's head coach at Michigan, Lloyd Carr. How could it take the greatest quarterback in NFL history until his fourth year to win the starting quarterback job, and even then, you force him to look over his shoulder for two years at Drew Henson? How does it feel to be known as the coach who kept Tom Brady on the bench for three years? The obvious answer is Tom Brady had yet to become Tom Brady. But I'll let Carr explain. Your job is to win, right? Carr said his job was to win. Coaches are selfish. They play the best players. For three years, Lloyd Carr simply didn't think that Tom Brady gave him the best chance to win. He didn't think he was his best quarterback. Brady would argue with that, of course. Carr is a very nice man and had been retired for six years when I spoke to him at Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor. By the way, if you're planning to be in Ann Arbor, Zingerman's is a must. I recommend the Georgia Rubin, but I digress. Carr is known just as much for keeping Brady on the bench as he is for winning Michigan's first national championship in five decades. Not once in my long talk with him, to express any regret or second-guess himself for missing something in his evaluation of Brady early on. Brady was just a skinny kid from San Mateo, California, taken in the 18th round of the 1995 Major League Baseball draft by the Montreal Expos. 
He was a left-handed hitting catcher from Sarah High School who can throw bullets to second base, but he just loved football more. Barry Bonds went to Sarah. So did Lynn Swan. If Brady hadn't committed to Michigan before the MLB draft, Tom Brady Sr. thinks his son could have been a second or third round pick in the baseball draft. The football field at Sarah has been renamed Brady Family Stadium. Odds are the big house at Michigan will never be renamed the Brady Family Big House. It was not a fun house for Tom Brady. Tom is the youngest of four children with three older sisters. Besides teasing their little brother Tommy, as everybody at home calls him, Marina and Nancy were accomplished softball players and Julie excelled at soccer. Brady competed with his sisters all the time, and all the girls played in college. Brady was not preordained to be a star quarterback like Peyton and Eli Manning, who had the bloodlines from their father, Archie. Brady's dad loves to play golf, and Tom is his favorite golf partner and best friend, but his career has been as an estate planner. His mother, Galen, is still a very good tennis player, but nobody was predicting GOAT status for Tommy back then. He never threw a pass for his freshman team in high school, even though his team didn't win a game. The starting quarterback quit going into Brady's sophomore year, and Tom was named first team for the junior varsity. Typical of what we've come to expect, he led his team to a comeback victory in his first start, with less than a minute to go. He was just 11-9 as the varsity starter his last two years and didn't lead his team to the playoffs either season. He threw for 3,514 yards and 33 touchdowns in his two varsity seasons. By the time he was a senior, he knew he wanted to play big-time college football instead of pursuing a career in baseball and felt he was good enough to play big-time college football. Only three schools agreed with him, Michigan, Illinois, and the Big Ten, and Cal Berkeley, which was basically around the corner from his house in the Pac-10. If he chose Cal, he can play football on Saturday and then 18 holes with his dad on Sunday. Brady's high school coach, Tom McKenzie, all but walked around with sandwich board signs trying to create college interest in his quarterback. They appeared on a recruiting video together in which McKenzie raved about Brady with highlights spliced in. Brady stood next to him and said nothing during the video. Here are the highlights from McKenzie's sales pitch. Back quarterback, 6'3", 205-pound junior from San Mateo, number 12, Tom Brady. Good afternoon. My name is Tom McKenzie. I'm the head football coach at Unipresera High School. Uh, I'm just going into my fifth year of coaching, and I'd like to introduce my uh, starting quarterback from this past season, Tom Brady. Tom is a 6'4", 210-pound athlete that started all 10 games for us this past season. Uh, he's a big, strong, very durable athlete that has an excellent work ethic, especially in the offseason, and does things to try to make himself a better athlete. He definitely has a Division I arm. Uh, this next season, we're working on things such as field presence. We're going to continue development on his quarterback mechanics and uh, his decision-making uh, process when he goes back deep into the pocket. Uh, if any colleges or coaches are interested in uh, seeing more of Tom, we have uh, a whole list of uh, past plays that you can sort of look over the 10-game period of last season. Uh, we also have game film that uh, we can make a video copy uh, and send to you both of his junior year and then, of course, next year in his senior year. Thank you. The tape was sent to 54 schools, including Michigan. Prior to the video, Cal was the only school interested. The tape didn't result in much traction, 
But Brady's highlights did catch the eye of Michigan's West Coast recruiter, Billy Harris, who was the school's defensive back coach on head coach Gary Moeller's staff with the Wolverines. Harris liked what he saw and showed it to quarterback's coach, Kit Cartwright. Then Harris went to Moeller with the tape. It led to a scholarship offer. Harris had one concern about a California guy becoming a Michigan man. The weather. The brutal Midwest winters. Here's what Harris told me. We give that old pitch, you know, honey. Hey, listen. Uh, when you go pro, it might be somewhere where it snows. And uh, thank goodness he went to Michigan because, you know, in New England, it snows. <laughs> you know, and then now he can, you know, uh, credit Michigan for helping him uh, deal with bad weather games. Tom's father told Harris that before his son would sign a letter of intent, there had to be assurances from head coach Gary Moeller that he wanted him. Here's Tom Sr. I want that in, in blood. I want you to tell me truthfully that that is the case. Two days later, Moeller was in San Mateo with Harris having breakfast with Tom Sr. and Tom. Moeller told Brady that he wanted to change the Michigan offense for him and install a pro-style passing game. Brady decided to sign up. I asked Tom why he chose Michigan. Ann Arbor is 2,373 miles from his house. Cal Berkeley is 31 miles away. It would be a lot easier for his parents to attend games if he played in what was then the Pac-10 and is now the Pac-12. He was assured by Cal he would start by his sophomore year. Michigan made no promises. His answer to why he chose Michigan was revealing. I just went there and I loved the social aspect, I love the team, the history, um, and it was a great school. So it was more of a feeling. I think I had experienced it, and then once I experienced that, I really didn't want to go anywhere else. All these years later, needing that assurance from Moeller seems as absurd as if Brady asked Bucks coach Bruce Arians if he would get an opportunity to compete for the starting job before he signed with Tampa. But remember, Brady was just a lightly regarded kid from San Mateo who might never amount to more than a camp arm. Tom Sr. was realistic about his son's football future at that point. He wanted Tom to pick a school that was strong academically and would help him prepare for a postgraduate life without football. He didn't want to interfere with his son's decision in the event it didn't work out. He didn't want Tom to resent him for influencing him, but he wanted him to pick Cal. He just never told him. He was on a need-to-know basis. Here's Tom Brady Sr. Before he had gone off to Michigan, we had honed in on the fact of football probably isn't going to be your life. And most athletes go to school, and there's not a, even though people expect it and hope for it to be, there's not a future in athletics. There's a, there's a very good probability that you will not have the success that you hope you have. And whatever school you choose, you better decide in conjunction with the athletics that you want a degree from that school that means something, that is going to take you on to the next level of your life. And um, what schools would be the school that if football doesn't work out, that you would would be uh, proud to have that degree on your wall and it would launch you into your career. And before he, as he decided on Michigan, that was one of the major, major criteria. Uh, it wasn't just a football 
the percentage of high school kids who play big-time college football is so small, and then smaller still are those who make it to the NFL. Usually when kids go off to college, a plane ride away from home, if anybody is to suffer from separation anxiety, it's them. It doesn't always work out that way. Trust me, none of my three kids went to a college that was driving distance from New York, and I'm pretty sure I missed them more than they missed me. But Tom Sr. took his anxiety to a different level. Golf, attending baseball games, coaching his youth games growing up, his buddy was leaving him. Tom Sr. nearly had me in tears when he said, quote, when he decided to go to Michigan, it literally broke my heart. Parents often send their kids care packages to college. If Brady knew how distraught his dad was, he might have sent him a care package from Zingerman's. But Tom Sr. didn't let on to Tom how upset he was. Instead, he contacted a psychologist and went through eight weeks of counseling to help him learn to deal with his separation anxiety. He's not ashamed to admit that he needed the help and admits it also helped him a lot. Tom himself needed the help of Greg Harden, Michigan's director of athletic counseling, in his early years in Ann Arbor to help him deal with the disappointment of not being able to get on the field. But his rough first few years at Michigan actually began before he even left California. We'll be back with more of The GOAT, Tom Brady, right after this. Brady didn't even have time to plant a Michigan flag in his front yard before Billy Harris, the assistant coach who recruited him and was his main contact and ally at Michigan, called him soon after Tom had committed. Harris called to say he'd taken a job as a defensive coordinator at Stanford, which is right around the corner from the Brady House in San Mateo. It was a promotion he could not turn down. Harris had grown close to Brady and his family and made an appearance at the going away party for Tom before he left for Michigan. He even brought him that flag. Here's the conversation I had with Harris about not being there for Brady once he arrived on campus. Billy, did you feel bad at all that, you know, you, you helped recruit him, but then you weren't there? I know, I'm sure it happens all the time, but was there a part of you that felt bad because this kid was coming all the way across the country and you had such a big, had such a big part in convincing him to do so and then you weren't going to be there? And uh, you weren't there to, you know, to help him out when he needed it. 
Did he ever say anything to you that he felt he was abandoned or anything like that? Oh yeah, well I mean, you know, he didn't feel like he was abandoned, you know, but he, he would have been, you know, he would have said, you know, it would have been nice if somebody who recruited him had stuck around there that uh, when, when, you know, it's like because as a coach, uh, you know, you get into meetings and, you know, people are talking about how folks are playing or not playing and, you know, giving them uh, uh, an opportunity and, you know, like if, if, if I'm there, you know, I'm trying to, you know, talk to the coach about giving him an opportunity or, this, of course, the head coach who recruited him is there, you know he's got to get the opportunity. The kid Cartwright who Harris mentioned was Brady's quarterback's coach the year he was redshirted in 1995, but he left to become Indiana's passing game coordinator in 1996. All recruits have a natural ally in connection with the coach who recruited him. Brady lost his when Harris left. Well, at least he still had head coach Gary Moeller on his side, right? That was crucial. Remember, Moeller had flown to California to tell the Bradys how much he wanted Tom. Well, in May of 1995, two months before Brady's arrival on campus, Mola was arrested following a drunken incident at a restaurant in Southfield, Michigan. According to reports, he was intoxicated and punched a police officer in the chest, which is never a good idea. He pleaded no contest to disorderly conduct and assault charges and was fined $200. Michigan fired him. Brady had nobody at Michigan who advocated for him to be there. Moeller, gone. Harris, gone. One year later, Cartwright, gone. Defensive coordinator Lloyd Carr was promoted on an interim basis to replace Moeller, and before the end of the 1995 season, the interim tag was discarded. Carr was not involved at all in Tom's recruiting, and if Tom had met him previously, was only in passing in the hallways at Schembechler Hall when he was on his official recruiting visit. Tom's father was not happy. And lo and behold, now he, Tommy's got nobody in the locker room, in the coach's room, rooting for him. When Brady showed up in the summer for his first practice in the summer of 95 in the shadows of the big house on the University of Michigan campus, he was so far down on the depth chart, he needed binoculars to see the top. He was seventh. Seventh! Can you imagine six other quarterbacks getting reps ahead of Tom Brady? Must be something about being seventh. Brady was the seventh quarterback taken in the 2000 draft. In practice his first summer at Michigan, Brady was behind Scott Dreisbeck, Brian Greasy, Jason Carr, who's the coach's son, and enough others that he was redshirted his freshman year so as not to waste a year of eligibility. Brady reported for his second camp in 1996 intent on winning the starting job. But when the season opened, Dreisbeck was again number one and Greasy was number two. Brady was third team and ready to get the heck out of Ann Arbor by the end of September. He didn't see a way onto the field and was discouraged. He marched into Carr's office with the intention of saying goodbye and telling him he was transferring back home to Cal, which was now coached by future NFL head coach Steve Mariucci. There is a Bo Schembechler saying it is a big deal at Michigan. Those who stay will be champions. There is a sign with that slogan on the wall that the players tap every game on their way onto the field at Michigan Stadium. Those who stay will be champions. Here's Lloyd Carr on that meeting with Brady. It was early in the season. He said, Coach, I think I'm going to transfer. And I said, why? 
Brady to sleep on it. Brady came back the next day and sat in the same seat in Carr's office as the previous day. Carr wanted him to stay but was prepared for him to leave. Brady leaned over the coach's desk and promised to prove he deserved to be Michigan's starting quarterback. That's exactly what Carr wanted to hear. Brady was determined to win practice every day and not worry about anything else. Why did Brady decide to stay when his path to the field was still going to be very competitive and very difficult? I wasn't really sure where my career was going to go. And there were a lot of guys that were ahead of me on the depth chart. One of them was just a year ahead of me. So uh, Was that Brian? or uh, That was Scott Dreisbach. Scott Dreisbach. And he was, going, he was a starter going into that season. Right. You know, I just wasn't sure if I'd ever really get an opportunity to play. You know, he said, look, you, know, you want to be the best, you've got to stick it out and try to beat out the best. And that competition really helped me. I think that competition, uh, I really learned how to compete in college because nothing was ever really given. Right, right. You know, I really had to work for it. And I think that still goes today. I still got to work for it. And I still got to, can't take anything for granted. Go out there and work at it as hard as you can, and hopefully it turns out the best. Dreisbach opened the 1996 season as the starter, but Greasy replaced Dreisbach when he injured his wrist and suffered a concussion in the annual Thanksgiving weekend game against Ohio State. Greasy led a comeback victory on the road in Columbus, which gave him a huge advantage for the 1997 starting job if he elected to return as a 50-year senior. Brady developed his now famous chip on his shoulder. He watched film until midnight. He left his apartment at 6 a.m. to work out. He was trying to will himself onto the field. Jay Feely, the Michigan kicker, was very close with Brady in college. Brady was in Feely's wedding party, and they are still very close friends. Here's what Feely said about Brady's experience during those tough times. Uh, I think he was probably very frustrated, but the same that any guy who wasn't getting an opportunity to succeed or fail. You know, I think that's what every, every guy wants, whether it's in college or the NFL, is you want to be on the field and have that opportunity to succeed or fail. And when you sit on the sidelines, you don't get a chance to play. Um, you don't know whether you're good enough. And there's a, there's a great frustration in that. Was there any conversation among the team, like, well, this guy's tearing up in practice and he really deserves to play? No, I think nobody knew how good he could be. I don't know if he knew how good he could yeah. be. Uh, everybody knew all along he was a great leader. Uh, that was one of his greatest qualities, is his ability to bring guys together. He was always uh, the central figure, even when he was a third-string quarterback. People were naturally drawn to him mm-hmm. and his personality. So 
but I don't think anybody could in any way honestly tell you that they saw the potential that was there to become one of the greatest ever. Brady's decision to remain didn't look so good by the end of the 96 season. He made it into just two games and attempted only five passes. But Greasy earned his degree in the spring and was strongly considering graduate school and giving up football. He had not done enough at Michigan to even be a late-round draft choice in the NFL. If Greasy left, Brady knew he could beat out Dreisbeck. But Greasy decided to return, and Brady was in a huge battle. He's convinced he outplayed and beat out Greasy leading into the 97 opener. But Carr went with Greasy, a former walk-on, who would go on to be a fourth-round draft pick. Brady went in to see Carr to state his case, but it did no good. Listen, Tom Brady and Brian Greasy don't even belong in the same sentence now. But it's hard to argue how the decision worked out for Carr. Greasy went on to win Michigan's first national title in 49 years. Brady backed him up and got into just four games and attempted only 15 passes. I don't get the feeling that the third year on the bench made Brady a better player other than putting an even bigger chip on his shoulder. So he had now been on campus for three years and played in six games and attempted 20 passes. No sign of the GOAT just yet. Brady had a clear path for the starting job in 98. Greasy was gone. Dreisbeck was still around but had trouble staying healthy. Then all of a sudden, the most hyped high school quarterback in the country shows up on campus, and none other than the New York Yankees owner, George Steinbrenner, almost derailed Brady's career. Here's how. Carr had successfully recruited Drew Henson, a football, baseball, and basketball star at Brighton High School just up the road from Ann Arbor. Henson threw 52 touchdown passes in high school and hit 70 home runs. And get this, two months before he reported to Michigan's summer practice before his freshman year, Henson was drafted in the third round by the Yankees and given a $2 million signing bonus by Steinbrenner. The Yankees envisioned him as their future third baseman. Steinbrenner was a huge Ohio State supporter, and it was speculated that he was trying to entice Henson to give up football and devote himself full-time to baseball so he can hurt Michigan and help Ohio State. Carr's only way to keep Henson at Michigan was to get him on the field. But at whose expense? Tom Brady. When the Wolverines held a preseason autograph session at Michigan Stadium before Henson's freshman year, fans were lined up 50 yards deep to get Henson to sign while Brady stood nearly alone by the stadium tunnel and signed just for a handful of fans. I asked Carr whether he promised Henson playing time to keep him away from going to the Yankees. I promised him the same thing I promised all the, the great athletes I recruited. An opportunity to compete. Right. And that's, you know, I go back to that because that's what it was all about for me. Carr's plan was to get Henson one series every game as a freshman. Michigan opened the season with a loss at Notre Dame. Henson played. They came home and lost to Syracuse. When Henson came in late in a lopsided game, he was cheered after Brady had been booed. Brady was 0-2 with a team that had been ranked number five in the preseason polls and won the national championship the previous year. He couldn't help but look over his shoulder 
at Drew Henson. Even though the fans wanted Henson to start, Carr stuck with Brady and he ripped off eight straight victories. The streak ended with a loss at Ohio State when Brady was sacked seven times and got the crap kicked out of him. Henson skipped spring practice the next year to play baseball, and Brady hung on to a starting job when Henson resumed the competition in the summer. But Carr announced a strange plan. Brady would start and play the first quarter. Henson would play the second quarter. And whoever played better would play the second half. Brady was not happy, and Henson was not happy. Brady earned the right to play the second half in four of the first six games. In game six against Michigan State, Carr picked Henson to play the second half. He struggled, and he put Brady back in the game. He nearly led a comeback victory, and the job was his for the rest of the season. Meanwhile, Brady's parents, despite the long trip to Michigan and the Big Ten schedule on the road, showed up at 90% of Tom's college games, even early on when he was the second and third string quarterback. Tom finished up with a great performance against Alabama in the Orange Bowl, throwing four touchdowns and for nearly 400 yards, twice bringing the Wolverines from 14 points down. But Carr gave Brady a going-away present. He put Henson in for one series. He went three and out. Carr says over and over he loves Tom Brady, loves his leadership, loves the way he competed, and loves what he did on the field. And you know what? I believe him. I truly believe he was playing the quarterback that he thought gave him the best chance to win. Brady did not feel a closeness to the university or the football program after he graduated, and he was estranged from Michigan for more than a decade, but came back to address the team before the 2013 season. And in 2016, he returned during his Deflategate suspension to attend his first game at the Big House since his final home game of his final year in 1999. Jim Harbaugh, who by then was the Michigan coach, made Brady the honorary captain for the game. When he came back in 2013, it was at the request of Coach Brady Hoke, a former defensive assistant who Tom Brady had been close to in his time at Michigan. He stood in front of the team before the season and ad-libbed a powerful speech. Here it is. I didn't have an easy experience. I didn't have come in as a top-rated recruit. I didn't come in with the opportunity to play right away. I had to earn it. And you know what the greatest honor I've ever received as a player is? In my fourth year and my fifth year, I was named team captain. That, to this day, is the single greatest achievement I've ever had as a football player. Because the men in this room chose me to lead their team. And these were my best friends. These were the guys that that knew that I liked to work, that knew that I loved football, that knew that I loved to play, that knew that I wanted to be the quarterback for Michigan. And all the lessons that I learned here on State Street and in the big house, that's still what I bring to practice today. Tom wrote Lloyd Carr a nice note when he retired after the 2007 season and expressed his condolences and offered his support when Carr's young grandson died of cancer. But Tom's father, to this day, thinks Carr did wrong by his son. When I asked Tom Sr. if he was still bitter at Michigan, 
Here's what he said. Actually, I don't harbor it against Michigan. I, I you know, what do they say? I, I, I have Irish Alzheimer's. I forget <laughs> everything but my crutches. Well, I, I harbor it against Lloyd Carr because I've heard of some things that occurred. Um, really, the way I feel about it really has no bearing. I think really what's important is how Tommy feels about it. Right. As a parent, I thought Tommy got screwed. Grudges die hard, or in this case, not at all. On the next episode of The Goat, Tom Brady, I'll discuss his painful draft experience and his walk around his neighborhood in San Mateo with a baseball bat as his endless wait continued and his anger built up until Bill Belichick finally ended his agony in the sixth round. The Goat, Tom Brady, is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Gary Myers. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcasts and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Story editing by Scott Waxman with editorial direction from John Tuttle. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Archival research by Brianne Murphy. Verna Fields is our technical producer, and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Find Diversion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Diversion Pods. And let us know, what do you think of the show? Send us your questions, your comments, and even your critiques. That's Diversion Pods on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Diversion Podcasts.